sometimes I feel like I'm the last one to get the joke. So like, I won't confess that I had this big master plan and I knew it all along, although that would be really convenient in the retelling. I think I was writing a book about my own experience and then I was doing interviews for the book and then, oh, I should start a podcast and then, oh, I should record this and maybe not do more free work even though I love making projects and work. And so it kind of got to that point where I was like, Well, Sarah, it looks like you have a business. Like, it looks like you accidentally stumbled into a business. Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it works. This week, my guest is startup pregnant founder, Sarah Peck. Sarah is also a writer, startup advisor, and yoga teacher based in New York City. Startup Pregnant is a media company documenting the stories of women's leadership across work and family. She hosts the weekly Startup Pregnant podcast, and she and her partner in life and work are the instigators behind More Women's Voices, a website that promotes women speakers and entrepreneurs. I wanted to explore Sarah's journey to realizing her idea was so much bigger than she originally thought and the nitty gritty of what she's doing to make that bigger vision a reality. We chat about how the idea started with a book proposal, the clever ways Sarah's making use of research, how she found sponsors for her podcast before it even launched, and the identity shift she's had to make along the way. Sarah Peck, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So let's start off with how the Startup Pregnant Project came to be. It started as a book idea, right? It did. I was working at a startup in Manhattan and I was five months pregnant with my first kid, basically clueless. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was walking down the street and I said, startup and pregnant only for the insane. And I got this little aha, like, oh, that'd be a pretty good book. Like I should write a book about this because this is just nuts. So I pitched the idea to an agent about this book and she said, oh, this is really interesting. Let's talk about it. Nice. That was very fast. <laughs> so what, 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 what were, the, what happened next? So like, keep us, keep, keep us going. going okay. So yeah, I want to hear more. Sure. I pitched it to a pretty big agency in New York city and, uh, ended up working on the book proposal for 18 months. So wow, had my kid in between. So, you know, I was five months pregnant and then it, the kid doesn't say, Oh, y'all wait for your book proposal to be done. Kid showed up. Um, took my maternity leave, actually worked on the proposal a little bit while I was on leave. And we went through five different drafts and nothing really seemed quite right. The overall idea, so interesting, like the intersection of pregnancy and business and how can business learn from pregnancy and what is the future of what it looks like to be a working mother and a working parent? All of these questions were interesting, but we couldn't quite nail the book. And the the final feedback I got was, and this is, I'm going to put it bluntly, but they were much more generous than this, that my story wasn't interesting (laughs) enough, which was, (laughs) which is totally fine though, right? Like to have a compelling memoir, think about what you pick up, you know, the, the near death stories, the Cheryl Strades, the eat, pray, loves, like they're, these are big books and they're big moments. And very fortunately for me, I wasn't dying of cancer and I didn't have a, you know, miracle birth delivery and the startup that we were working on was good, but it wasn't this like rocket 
unicorn spaceship kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there just wasn't the piece where it was like, this is what will grab everyone and, and pull it off the shelves. So we said, let's go start interviewing a lot of other women, which I really loved because it was mm. then became about, well, it's not just your story. Like maybe the story is bigger than you. So I went and I started interviewing a whole bunch of women and I was having all of these conversations about their experiences of pregnancy and family and work. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny. I really shouldn't have these conversations just one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe I should just hit record and turn it into a podcast. Well, I love that. And I, that's where I wanted to dive in next. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of people start this kind of research phase and sort of research almost happens in a bubble. And I love that you connected this, I, the, the process of research with the actual opportunity to get some of these ideas out into the public. So tell me about your initial vision then for the startup pregnant podcast. So the podcast was my desire to tell this story and to start talking more about this subject. I also had this huge craving when I was first pregnant and also as a new mom, I wanted to be connected to more women. I wanted to hear how other women were doing it and not doing it all, but just what were they choosing and, and what did their lives look like? And I thought by doing the podcast, I could start to not only connect people together just for my own interest but provide the kind of resource for people that were feeling the same way that I was feeling, that wanted to listen in to other women's stories, that wanted to hear more of this tribe and this, um, this perspective. And so, but like a working mom, I couldn't start just any other free project. So I took the podcast and I, I put it on my blog. I said, hey, I want to start a podcast, but I'm looking for sponsors because I don't want to take on more unpaid projects. I need to, at a bare minimum, cover the cost. And fortunately, and kind of amazingly, we had sponsors sign up right away. I asked four people and they all said yes, which like, I don't want to ask anyone else because I just would like to keep that 100% perfect record, but I will, <laughs> <laughs> like, I will keep asking people. Um, and so we got sponsors for the show, not a tremendous amount. We, we reached $750 a month. So that covered our editing budget and our production budget. And that was it. I wasn't paying myself, but I wasn't spending money out of, a out of my pocket when I said things like daycare and being a new mom and all the other stuff to think about. Right. Okay. So let me stop you there because I had totally forgotten that you asked for sponsors before you even launched the podcast. And I thought that was so cool that you were willing to do that and kind of maybe buck the conventional wisdom. Like oh, I have to build this platform and I have to get so many downloads before I go out and see if I can get people to pay me to do this. So how did you approach those initial four sponsors and how did you position what you were doing in a way that they could see the value in sponsoring you? Yes. So the, the, the conventional wisdom, I'm using air quotes, but people can't see me. Right. The conventional wisdom, we have to remember that all of the conventional wisdom from the last 10 years is also made up. Like we're doing our best right. to create <laughs> guidelines, but this is a kind of a wild west frontier. And so even if you read um, like John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneur on Fire has a really great uh, post about like averages and price per million download or per thousand downloads. That's all great. And 
why not try it a different way? Because there's not really one mm-hmm. right path yet. There's not there. Even if people say there's an industry standard, that's just kind of like an average from which you can work from. So I took that into account. And then I thought about the value of the audience that I was bringing together. I said, this is going to be busy moms who are also entrepreneurs. They're probably going to really value Uh, things that save them time, things that save them money, things that help them with efficiency, things that help them be productive, and then also things that help them feel connected and less alone and like their work is important. These are kind of the core psychographics or the values of this community. In addition, uh, mothers and entrepreneurs, particularly um, at the wealthier side of the spectrum, women are the fast, some of the fastest growing groups of entrepreneurs. They make a tremendous amount of money. Um, they are, not only do they control the finances of their own money and there's two, two breadwinner households, but women often control the purse strings of the entire family. So they're making more purchasing decisions, right. even if their net salary isn't a tremendous amount. They're still making a lot of purchasing decisions for the families and for the businesses. So getting in front of an audience like this is a really valuable thing to do. And if you have a product or a um, whatever it is that you want to get in front of new moms, I am building a platform with specifically that audience. The one thing that I did ask for with sponsorships was a minimum of a six-month commitment. And I told them it was Mm. mostly because it was more valuable for them that way. Like if you just come in and you sponsor the first episode, you're not going to get a huge return. Like I'm not going to make you an outlandish promise that says, hey, you're going to get a whole bang for your buck because you're not because we're just starting. But if you stay for six months and you're with us while we grow this thing, chances are the price I'm giving you now is going to pay dividends by the time we get to six months and later. Yeah. And have you found that to be true? Are your sponsors pleased with the, the progress that you've made building this platform? Oh my gosh, yes. So um, we have had people write to me, the people who are listening in, and ask me, they're like, hey, I've heard about this thing. I know you've talked about it. Can you remind me what the name of this thing is? Or can you connect me to this oh, sponsor? Wow. And and that I think is like, it's harder to track the specific, like did so many people go to sure. acuity.com slash startup pregnant? You can track that. But I keep forwarding these emails I get from people that say, hey, that recommendation for Meet Edgar was was really helpful. I'm so glad I've never used a social media scheduler before. And that's the kind of value add and the metric I'm looking for right now. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And you said you're forwarding those on to the sponsors themselves? Yeah. And actually, I haven't even told the sponsor this yet, but um, Vanessa Van Edwards from um, Captivate and the World's Most Interesting People YouTube channel, she reached out. And she had me on her show and we ended up talking about one of the sponsors because she had listened and said, oh, I'm going to use that. She was pregnant and she's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, totally. This is really helpful. Like this is a helpful thing for new moms to know how to get breast pumps for free. Perfect. So she called and she signed up. We talked about it on her show and her show has 200,000 people listening on YouTube. So while I may not have these huge numbers yet because we're only six months old on the podcast, our sponsor just got a huge shout out on this other platform. That's incredible. And it really, I mean, I think it speaks to that overall positioning that you were using when you went out to find those sponsors in the first place, because you really positioned it as the value of 
the audience, right? Your goal, your job, not only is to tell the stories of these people, but to gather them together and to speak to them wherever they are. And that's exactly what you're doing, whether that's specifically on your podcast or whether it's on my podcast or whether it's on Vanessa's show. And that's huge. I mean, that's a hugely valuable partnership, I think, for a company that's looking for that kind of exposure. Yes. And I'll add a couple of other things. The first is that so many companies are often looking for ways to reach more women. Like they realize, Mm. especially tech companies, they realize, oh, everybody that uses my mailing service provider, like we have 75% men. How do we reach more women? So these are really great opportunities for them to find niche audiences and reach them, which, which is so important. And then the other thing, when I when I was positioning it in the beginning, Seth Godin actually taught me this. There's advertising and there's sponsorship. And advertising and direct marketing gets really into the metrics and the numbers, like how many clicks and mm. what's the return. And it kind of, what it kind of boils down to is you can't beat Google or Facebook. Like, I hate to break it to you, but if somebody's going to put dollars for advertising somewhere, they're going to go spend it on Facebook ads and Google ads because they just right. are better. And which is fine. I can happily lose that game because what we're looking for in sponsors is people that believe in the value and the mission of what we're doing. They think that providing services for new moms isn't just a business opportunity, but it's also worth doing in the world. And so when we are finding sponsors and partners, there are people that say, absolutely, we want to get in front of this audience. And we believe in the importance of what you do. And we would gladly sponsor you for a year just because we want to see the work you're making in the world. Mm, That is such a valuable distinction (laughs) for people, Uh, both as, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of media creators listening who are thinking about these distinctions from a media media creator standpoint, but also from an advertising standpoint. You know, we're all small business owners and advertising is one of the things that is on a lot of people's radars. Um, And I think, you know, because Facebook advertising is so accessible, because Instagram and Google advertising is so accessible, um, that tends to be the first place we look as small business marketers and advertisers. Um, But sponsorship, I think, makes a lot of sense too, especially from a brand awareness standpoint. And I just, I love that that you shared that distinction with us because I just think that's huge. Yeah. So... Uh, I know that you have been on quite a journey with Startup Pregnant, and a big part of that has been realizing how much bigger this thing is than when you initially had that book idea on the street. (laughs) And I'm curious if there was a particular moment or train of thought or situation in which you realized, oh, crap, this is so (laughs) much bigger than I realized it was initially. You know, I think there's two there's two parts of this story. The first is that sometimes I feel like I'm the last one to get the joke. So <laughs> so like I won't confess that I had this big master plan and I knew it all along, although that would be really convenient in the retelling. I think I was writing a book about my own experience and then I was doing interviews for the book and then, oh, I should start a podcast and then, oh, I should record this and maybe not do more free work, even though I love making projects and work. And so it kind of got to that point where I was like, well, Sarah, it looks like you have a business. Like it looks like you accidentally stumbled into a business. And huh, isn't that interesting? You thought you were writing a book. So I feel like in some ways I'm catching up to to what this is. But then the real aha moment to answer your question is coming in this series 
of letters that I'm getting from people. And I have a cork board up on my wall where I just, every time I get one, especially the emails, I print them out. I highlight the things that really move me and I stick them up on the wall. And every other day or so, I get another email from someone that's like, I get it at the name done. Like it makes so much sense. You've changed my life. You've made me cry. This podcast means so much to me. You're creating what I wish I was making. I haven't found anything like this. Someone else told me the other day, um, I, I searched for pregnant in the podcast directory and I found yours and it was better than I'd hoped it would be. And that, that is, I don't think my podcast is like that great, but I'm glad people are telling me, but, uh, but I think it's more about the content, like the idea. And there's something here. I've written a blog. You know this. I've written a blog now for seven years on my own website. That's never been as sticky mm-hmm. as this business has been. Wow. I love the idea of having a cork board with all those emails and letters on them, reminding you every day that this is bigger than you realized it was. Um yeah. Can you tell me specifically how the vision for you has changed? So again, the the vision kind of starting as a book idea, evolving into a podcast, where is it now? What, what is this business, this company that you're building? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I feel like what I'm doing is I'm building a sustainable business that is the platform to the next business. Okay. And and what I mean by that, I think they may all still be called Startup Pregnant, but what I am deeply immersed in right now is research. I get to interview people every week. I get to write articles every week about what it means to be a woman and work and have babies. And and I it's like I'm doing a two-year MBA on the topic. And within that, I'm already starting to get a tremendous number of business ideas, product ideas, um, ways to help this community, things that can be built, courses, masterminds, and um, even bigger scale than that. Like the other the other month, I got a – this is the woo-woo side of me. I've got a very science background, and I'm also very open to woo-woo. I feel like I had this huge download for the mm-hmm. kind of change we could make in the world. And – It's not easy for me to do, but I'm trying to remain as open as possible to the fact that, that I don't, I might not even know what this is becoming yet. Mm. That, I think that's a really important shift, right? Because that changes the way that you work. If you're working to build a podcast or you're working to write a book, you do the things that are involved in that kind of work, right? But yes. if you're building something that's so big or potentially so big that you don't even know what the real possibility is yet, it, it changes what you're doing, I think, even on a daily basis. What are some of the things that you're doing today or or maybe over the course of a month that you weren't when you started thinking about this book or the even the podcast initially? Mm, okay. So another way of saying this kind of like big picture thinking is I feel like I know what I'm building. I'm building a house. I've got a house and I have the plans and every quarter I make new uh, strides towards it and I pivot and mm-hmm. I test. I say, oh, that wood's not so great. I'm going to you know shift to this wood or, oh, we've got to redo the, the tiling or the flooring or the whatever. But what the house can provide at the end of the year, once you have it built, like that's where the limitless possibilities are. So I ha- like when I think about the business, I've got a business plan for the year and I break my business down into quarters. Each quarter, I focus on one primary um, move or goal. So quarter four mm-hmm. last year was 
uh, systematizing the podcast. We launched in September and I gave myself three months to come up with a system so that I wasn't driving myself crazy. How do I get production down to you know, shape who can help me with this? How much does it cost? Is there a seamless process for doing it? And then starting in quarter one of 2018, which we just finished at the time of this recording, my goal was to find common threads and create my first lead magnets for people. Like, what is it hmm. that people can, like, what have people really resonated with? And how can I turn that into a paper document or, you know, a digital document? And we just released our first two, which is so, makes me so happy. They're total MVPs. Like, <laughs> I think they could be so much better, but we did it. We shipped it. And, and so now um, we're actually in the first week of the second quarter. This is my planning week. Or we're... we're yeah, we're in the first week of the second quarter. I had to check my calendar really fast to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you hear that? I was like, wait, are we? Oh, we are. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm in the middle of making my goals and plans. And uh, there's a huge focus on marketing right now, which is spreading the word and telling the good news and getting um, getting more people to listen to the podcast and to sign up for mm -hmm. our email newsletter because those are the things that are going to let me um, charge higher rates on my sponsorships, which are going to let me build more down the line. Right. Can we come back to the lead magnets for a second? Sure. Because this has been a topic of conversation at Co-Commercial lately. I recently took down like all of the lead magnets for my websites oh, and we're going with just really direct calls to action. Um, I'm not saying uh, that's not advice for people. Please don't all take down your lead <laughs> magnets. It's just what I wanted to do. And for a lot of I think good reason, like good reasons for us. Um, so I'm curious, what are the two lead magnets? What do they look like? What do they entail? How are you following up with people? What does that look like? Yeah. So I came up with a whole list of ideas. This is, this is my process kind of in a nutshell is like, come up with a whole list of ideas, push yourself to think of a ton, 30, 40, like just write down everything you can, mm -hmm. and then start to evaluate them based on how much like how many people in your audience will this serve and how long will it last? Will it be evergreen and how much work will it take to create? And then you find the sweet spot of, oh, that one's pretty easy to do and it'll last for a long time and it'll have the biggest reach. So I'm going to start with those. And the thing that people kept asking me for um, and the way they asked was they, I got an email that says, hey, I'm pregnant. I need to figure out my maternity leave policy. My company doesn't have one yet because we're under 10 people. This was the question uh, I kept getting, right? It happens all the time. Actually, you may have this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like... There's light bulbs going off yeah. like, no, I don't have a maternity leave policy. Right. <laughs> it's not a problem we've had yet. Exactly. <laughs> it happens when the first person gets pregnant, which, um, is, which is actually a recruiting problem because a lot of women, when they look at uh, companies, they actually try to find the maternity leave policy because they want to know what the benefit is. And then they don't apply to companies that don't have them. So startups are kicking themselves or shooting themselves in the foot by not having a policy in place. And it's this, it's this horrible loop that happens because startups don't have a lot of money so they, and they don't have a lot of time. So they don't create a policy and they're afraid it's going to cost a lot of money. So we just on Monday, two days ago, put up a Google Doc. It's like a crowdsourced Google Doc of everything I went through when I was at the startup and I helped craft the policy at my own place. And I put it out and I sent out an email to my list, which is uh, 300 subscribers right now. So we have a small, uh, small but mighty 
um, list of influencers. And people wrote back, they've commented on the doc. I've had companies come forward and say, hey, I can share the plan that I put together when I had to do this, because this is what women have to do. And so I'm trying, this is the goal. This is why it's an MVP. But the goal is to create one doc for people so that, because look, you're pregnant, so you're really freaking tired. Um, you have limited time, and most people might not understand what you're going through, and you're trying to finish your job. You're trying to do a good job. Doing more research is not easy to do. So my goal, this lead magnet, or this, can I just call it a resource, like useful yeah, resource, please. is I hope that like what I want to do is, this is like friend to friend, I want to be like, here's what I made, literally steal it. Like copy it, paste it. Here's the questions you have to ask. I have just saved you 25 hours of time. And also here are all my my negotiation scripts. Um, And that's the document we're working on right now. And it solves a really specific problem for people. Uh, But I hope it can also change people's lives. Oh, that's so amazing. Sarah, I'm so excited for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I'll send it to you too, because then you can be like, oh, this is the policy. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Yeah, we've done, oh my gosh, so much policy making over the last year, you know, shifting from, we we just went through, well, not just, it's been over a year now, but shifting from independent contractors to all employees. And it just, you know, there's a, that's a lot of work. I don't want to scare anybody. It's all very worthwhile work and there's lots of direction on it out there. But maternity leave is one of the areas where it is lacking. And the, oh my gosh, the whole idea of, you know, startups, women aren't even applying at startups because startups don't have maternity leave policies and creating that, that very problematic loop um, is a, it's a fascinating problem. And and I'm so glad you're thinking about these things because, oh my gosh. And there's some myth busting to do, which is what I think I need to write some like big blog Mm -hmm. posts about. But a lot of times people think like, oh, we can't afford to have one yet. Or like, I don't want my employees to leave. We're too young. That would be too risky. And and there's some like when we think through the logic, it doesn't take long to realize that as a startup, any employee can leave at any time. And having an employee that says I'm going to leave for a specific amount of time and come back and we have plenty of months to plan ahead for it is one of the easier things as a startup to deal with. Like we're constantly dealing with puzzles and problems. And if we can't solve that one, I have to question how good we are at solving problems. Oh, that is so huge. And I think even for companies that, you know, are not dealing with this or, you know, maybe you are just a person, you're you're a team of one and you're thinking about even the potential of hiring your first even part-time employee uh, I think longevity is one of the biggest fears people have when it comes to to building their teams. How am I going to find someone that's going to stick around for a while? And this idea that, you know, we they can leave at any time and they will leave at any time. So what are you going to do? It's not how do you find someone who's willing to stick around? It's what are you going to do to make your company a great place to work someplace that provides for people to stick around for a long time? People don't love changing jobs. They want to stick around at someplace. Great, right? Oh, so good. We, yes. could, we could go off yep. on that whole ta- tangent all <laughs> oh, we, day long. I could. <laughs> um, yes, this is this is where like my policy advocacy stuff and your policy advocacy stuff really start to overlap and we could that'll be a whole nother podcast episode we'll we'll do another one on that but perfect i want to get back to um sort of this evolution that your vision has gone through because i know that as your vision evolves 
there is something that goes on internally as well. So, you know, as you're thinking about the external side of things, well, this is what I'm building, or this is, these are all the possibilities that makes a net, there is a necessary change that has to happen internally as well, which is you go from thinking, oh, I'm a writer or, oh, I'm a podcaster to, oh, geez, I'm running a company now. And I'm, I'd love to hear how that identity shift well, first off, does that resonate with you? Is is that the kind of change that you have felt or are even still processing? And what has that how how has that come up for you? What are some of the challenges that you've faced during that shift? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that like one of the hardest parts about being a business owner is uh, that your job is not to do the work. It is to think of systems and operations and workflows and people and hiring and planning for the future. And a lot of people get into business because they want to do the thing that they love. And there's a really great book on this. It's called The E-Myth. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Gerber, I think. I actually don't know yep. the author, but we can. That is, oh, is that it? Okay, it. great. Yep. Um, and it's the entrepreneurship myth. For the longest time, I thought the book was like the email myth or something like the e. Me too. Myth. <laughs> so needs a little help with the title, but it's the myth of entrepreneurship is what the book is about. And he talks about um, being a technician, which is the person who knows how to do the thing. And for me, that is probably my biggest Achilles heel is I have a design background and I have um, a love of writing and a, and a like masochistic sense of, of, of a love of doing. So I, I, you know, I kind of like cobbled together the branding on my own and I have a really fierce part of my brain that's like, well, if I can just do it, why should anyone else do it? So having to unlearn that as a habit and figure out oh, I need to let this part go, or who can I hire to help me? And even though I have a really limited budget, we still have four contractors now. And you may have noticed this because I posted it in your site, um, the, in your community co-commercial. I got an opportunity recently to write for both Inc. and Forbes, which is an amazing opportunity, but I, yeah. I didn't think that I could do all that writing. So I was going to say no to the opportunity. And it was your community that challenged me. People started writing and they said, well, why do you have to do the writing? And oh my God, I can't even like, I have creepy crawlies in my skin right now. Cause I was like, what do you mean? I don't do the writing. Like, I don't understand this as a concept. And this is my current struggle mentally is to figure out what writing do I have to do? Not have to, but like is mine to do and what can I give right. away? And I came up with a solution that I am rolling out this quarter which is I'm recording these mini episodes of my podcast on a topic. It's still my voice. It's still my content. And then I'm having one of my um, colleagues, one of my contractors, put it into a first draft form. So it's it that feels so nice. much better. So I'm not actually typing the words into the page, but it's still content that came from me. Uh, and that's where we're that's where we're at right now. And I'm I'm still I mean, please, if you have advice for this or if people are listening and they're like, oh, Sarah, <laughs> please tell me how I could improve because entrepreneurship and business ownership is like I feel like a baby at it sometimes. I know I'm I know that I'm learning and I'm growing, but I want to remain open enough to know that I'm 
I'm not yet an expert at it. Like this is a real challenge and a puzzle for me to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my advice, I had, I had seen your post at, at co-commercial and um, which I did not get the opportunity to respond to. And I also knew I was talking to you today. So, um, but my response <laughs> exactly um, was going to be uh, that I exactly what your plan is, which is get someone to do the first draft and it and build it off of material that you already have. Because if you're building it off of material that you already have and someone else is doing the first draft, that means the difference between the first draft and the second draft is not going to be that great. You're going to be able to bang that out really fast. But also that first draft is going to be it's going to be yours, too, even though somebody else has created it. And I've had people do that for me and it's been amazing. And it's definitely increased my productivity and my ability to, to get finished writing out the door. And I think for those of us who have written so much in the past, as you and I both have, it's easy to think, oh, well, I already wrote that. It's done. I'm moving on to the next thing now. And the nice thing about having someone write for you from work you've already done is that you're saying things that need to be said multiple times without driving yourself crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's true. Which That's is so, so true. <laughs> important because we all know the vast majority of people are not seeing the work that we wrote five years ago, even three years ago, even a year ago. And so if we can not just recycle it, but rebroadcast it in a way that more people get to see those things again and again, sometimes for the first time, sometimes for the second or third time. That's, that's a good thing. That's not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. So as we start to wrap up here, you, you had mentioned uh, that marketing is sort of your focus for this quarter. And you had mentioned to me um, in sort of our pre-interview that you were focused on marketing on just a few things right now that you're really like that focus is your focus when it comes to marketing. And I'm curious to hear more about that as you're thinking about how to take Startup Pregnant to a much bigger stage. Yeah, it's hard because I think the biggest challenge with marketing that it's like the unspoken elephant in the room is that if you had all the time in the world, of course, you would do all the things. But that marketing takes a tremendous amount of time. And it, as a small business owner, you have to be really strategic about where am I going to apply my energy? So I came up with 12 different ideas of things that we could do from a marketing perspective. And then I narrowed it down to three to five and I ranked them one through five. So I wanted to make sure that I got one, two, and three done in the quarter. And three marketing projects per quarter is plenty. Um, <laughs> like that's, oh, yeah. that, it's hard even sometimes. If I get two and a half done, that's great. And so I'll tell you what last quarter's was because I'm still planning. I have a sketch of what this quarter's is. But last quarter, I picked uh, a podcast tour. I wanted to get on as many podcasts as possible because where are our podcast listeners? Yes. They're listening to podcasts. So I wanted to get in front of the people who were already doing the thing that I wanted them to do. And my goal was to get on to um, four shows last quarter. I said four a quarter would be great. This would be my tour for the year. Nice. I actually got on to 12 podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, we're still waiting to get the results of those because some of them are recorded and they'll go live in quarter two. But I already have so many people emailing me, hey, I heard of you on another podcast. I don't remember which, but and and I know that it's working. The, one of the reasons why this was super helpful was because um, I said no to speaking this year. Speaking takes a tremendous amount of time mm -hmm. travel-wise. I'm the mom of a toddler. And I don't know, 
if I've told you this, but I will, everyone can know this. Uh, we're pregnant Ooh, with our second. Congratulations. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'll just, thanks. I'll just slide that in there. Um, so I was, I knew that I was going to be exhausted. And I said, well, there's one thing I can do. I can roll out of bed and get on a podcast, but I don't want to put makeup on and I don't want to like get on a subway or no. a plane or an automobile. So podcasts were a really effective way for me to spread the message. Um, number two was articles. And I applied to write for both Forbes and Inc. And they both said yes. So now I'm in that overwhelmed state. But that's great. I have a good problem. And now I just need to systematize it. And the third thing were those lead magnets or what I call guides on Startup Pregnant. And um, for people listening, because there might be somebody who needs that maternity leave guide, startuppregnant.com guides is where you find them. Um, I also told myself I would put a call to action in the podcasts that I'm recording. <laughs> and I just did it. So thank you. Um, and then my my bonus strategies were getting really big guests on the show because uh -huh. they are a draw and then creating an um, evergreen marketing swipe file that can recycle old content. And I hired somebody to do that for me and we got it implemented. And I feel like quarter one was was such a like such a strong lead to the year. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more um, about the swipe file. What all did you what kinds of things did you include into it? So I had uh, my person go through, her name's Helen, she's wonderful. Um, I had her go through all of the past blog posts for uh, Startup Pregnant and all of the past podcast episodes and make five different tweets for everyone. So she had a day where she made like 500 different tweets. And then I had wow. her go through and make, um, find quotes by interesting women entrepreneurs and parents and find their Twitter username and also put those in. So we started calling out other people and saying like, you're awesome. Like here, we're going to quote you. And so she put all of those, it's five or 600 tweets into um, our meet Edgar queue. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we created a system for every week when the podcast goes live, she creates three tweets for my personal account, a Facebook post. She does all of the um, weekly, like here, a new episode is live, which I was really struggling with doing for some reason. I love talking. I love sharing. Oh, and I yeah. just, I couldn't get over that hurdle of like, oh, Monday, there's a new episode, but I have planning to do, but I have this to do. And so I just asked her to do it and she does it every week. And I'm like, I like bow down to the fact that having someone else to work with is such a godsend. Yes. Amen to that. That's awesome. Thank you. I, yeah. just, I was just really curious because People mean different things when they say that, and I, I know people want to know. Okay, so speaking of that call to action, you've given us one, but I'm going to let you just go hog wild here. <laughs> How can listeners Ooh. get involved with Startup Pregnant? Because I know you know we have a lot of women listening, obviously. Um, we have some, lots of men too. Hey, dudes. Um, but uh, and, and I'm sure you have dudes that listen too. Um, oh, yeah. How can people get involved with Startup Pregnant? So three ways. Sign up for our email list because I send out um, – emails three times a week with opportunities and helpful advice and these guides and you get to be a part of the creative process. It's a very, it's very much a conversation, which is something you taught me. Um, and I, I get emails back from people all the time and it's really fun. Uh, so sign up for our email list and you can choose how many emails you get. You can get just a weekly summary or a monthly summary, or you can get every one. If you're like panicked by email, don't sign up for the everyone <laughs> option. Uh, we have yeah. a Facebook, don't, right? Like just, that was one of the things I wanted to build in right away for busy parents and moms. I was like, what would really, what would they really hate? Um, probably too many emails. So you have the option. Then um, the Facebook group we have, we have a 
amazing community of women and it's honest and it's raw and it's really beautiful. Uh, we talk about, we don't, you know, we don't post shiny bump pictures. Um, well, we do if that's what's relevant, but we also talk about things like miscarriage and adoption and abortion and um, the challenges of motherhood and how hard it is and how it's difficult to get traction in your business. And we have Monday, Wednesday and Friday prompts there where we get to ask for help and cheer each other on and then do these funny photo selfies that we're, where we share with each other. So if you want to be part of a mom's group of mom business owners, we've got that on Facebook. And then the last thing is, if you like podcasts, you're welcome to come listen to ours. It's the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Fantastic. Sarah Peck, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for this fascinating conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's always so good to talk to you. Find out more about Startup Pregnant at startuppregnant.com and learn more about Sarah at her personal website, sarahkpeck.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of What Works. It's Rebels with a Cause Month at Co-Commercial, and we're talking about creating more sustainable and ethical small businesses all month long. If this interview has inspired you to take a fresh look at your business's social, environmental, and commercial impact, we've created a resource for you to do exactly that. We've come up with 10 ways you can make your business a force for good and each take less than an hour to implement. Plus, we're asking our community and listeners like you to contribute their own suggestions for building businesses with a positive impact. To get in on the conversation and find out some easy ways for you to bake doing good into the way you do business, go to ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Nevius and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs, and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.